Good morning. It's a good day to be in church. I'm glad the ice uh, melted a little bit so everybody could get out for the most part. Uh, I'm excited to be here. It's always good to be with Cross Lanes. I won't add any more to the introduction, but I will extend some gratitude. Uh, you've been a family for a long time and have been a great encouragement to me. So I appreciate that. I always appreciate that. I've been around a lot of churches now in a lot of places. I can say that. I'm old enough. And uh, you have pastors that work as hard or harder than anyone and care about you uh, as much or more than anyone. So uh, it's a good place. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for you. And I'm excited I get to be with you this morning. Today, uh, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 7 on the presence of God. We are entering a new year. I can't believe it's almost 2021 It felt like the year was going to last forever from May to June, and then we hit fall and Thanksgiving and just stomped on the gas. It's been a quick end of the year, and we're almost uh, to a new time. And with the new year always comes a set of new anxieties. We have new hopes. We have new aspirations. We have new dreams. We have new fears. And in all of that, we need an anchor to hold us steady as we try to navigate the things that life throws our way. Especially in this current circumstance, more than ever, we need an anchor. I was speaking with someone actually here from Cross Lane several months ago who likened uh, the events that we are under uh, undergoing now to Pearl Harbor, something that changes our lives significantly and has a substantial impact on how we move forward. The enormity of our moment causes us to stop and consider both our physical and spiritual needs. And I offer this morning that the presence of God in our lives, whether to save or to sanctify, is the most crucial and lasting solution to our physical and spiritual needs. The presence of God is an anchor to which we may hold fast and the one that we need this morning. Today we'll consider the presence of God from Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. And I'll begin reading in verse 37. The word of God says this, this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. He is the one who in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, he received living oracles to give to us. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, they pushed him aside And in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. They even made a calf in those days, offered sacrifice to the idol, and were celebrating what their hands had made. God turned away and gave them up to worship the stars of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. House of Israel, Did you bring me offerings and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Raphon, the images that you made to worship. So I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses commanded him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our ancestors in turn received it, And with Joshua brought it in when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before them until the days of David. He found favor in God's sight 
and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. It was Solomon, rather, who built him a house. But the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what will be my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, you do also. Verse 52. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth in him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. Pray with me. God, this morning we are overwhelmed by our situation. We are overwhelmed by the coming of a new year and we need a secure resting place from which we can know that we have hope. God, we need knowledge this morning that will give us boldness as we serve. And we need power that we cannot find on our own. We're thankful that we can find all of these things in the presence of God. And I pray that you would give us understanding from your word as to how we are to respond to the characteristics of God's presence, of your presence. And I pray that we would... Apply those things that we've learned as we go about our way and go into this new year, recognizing that we cannot serve and obey you alone. And we cannot do it outside of your presence. God, we need you this morning. I ask that you would give me only your words and that you would give the spirits listening openness and discernment and communicate your word clearly so that we will be able to make a commitment this morning to respond boldly to you in this next year and for the remainder of the time that we have to serve you on this earth. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 7 introduces us to the the servant Stephen, a man of God chosen as one of seven who are to serve the widows of their community in the New Testament church. He's before the Sanhedrin because of his righteous character and his faithful service. He has been taken before the, the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin, and he has been asked to give an account for his preaching. And what he shares is the redemptive narrative throughout Jewish history, starting with Abraham. He draws the story and and describes the story through the patriarchs, ending with Joseph's selling and enslavement, and ultimately the leading of the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. God and thus Jesus were present at each moment of this history. And thus his constant multifaceted presence is key to understanding 
the message of good news. The, the news that we have of the birth of Christ, Christ is actually a hope in the presence of God. And I would ask you to consider with me this morning how the realities of God's presence before, during, and beyond our lives ensures fulfillment of the gospel's promises for us. And we're going to do that. We're going to see how the realities of God's presence ensures the promises of the gospel by observing three truths about the presence of God. And we'll begin with the first one. God's presence is manifested. God's presence is manifested. Now we know that God himself is not a physical being. John 4, 24 says this, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. However, he reveals himself to us in manifested ways. There are physical consequences to his work in our lives and in the incarnation of Jesus Christ himself. And we're going to work toward that by looking at what Stephen says about the manifested presence of God. There are many instances of God's manifested presence to different men in the Bible in the Old Testament. If you look at verse 33 earlier in chapter 7, you see the appearance of God to Moses in the burning bush. If you look at verse 36, the signs and wonders that Moses performed before the Egyptian leaders are accounted for from Exodus. Verses 42 and 43 recount the visible activity of God among his people in the wilderness. Exodus 40 tells us of the physical cloud that led the people by day and the fire that led them by night. At each step of the way, God's presence was manifested to his people. However, most of us have not seen a burning bush, nor a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. So how is God's presence manifested to us today? Where do we see God present in our own lives? Well, first we see him manifested through his word. His word is a message to live by. Look at verse 38 with me. He is, is the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our ancestors. What did he receive? Living oracles to give to us or instructions to obey as verse 39 extends. The word of God is a manifestation of himself that gives us a physical revelation through the word, the the written word of God's instruction to us and how we are to obey him, how we are to serve him, and ultimately where we will join him at the end of our lives. But God's word is also manifested through his incarnate son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah by which we can have life. John 1 and verse 1, 14 and 16 says this. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So God makes himself manifest to us through the revelation of himself in his written word and also the manifestation of himself through the incarnate Messiah. He also manifests himself not only through his word, but his actions. Let's look at some ways that God is manifesting himself through actions with physical consequences in Stephen's sermon. Look at verse 42. 
God turned away and gave them up to worship their idols. God turns away in judgment and reveals his holy justice. Verse 44, our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness. Just as he spoke to man, just as he who spoke to Moses did what commanded him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. He had commanded him. And when God commands obedience, he reveals his sovereign authority. Verse 55 recalls the vision of Jesus Christ going back into heaven after he has given his final instructions to his disciples and sitting down at the right hand of God. And this reveals his redemptive mission and the role of Jesus in God's master plan. So what does this mean for us? Well, all of God's activity in the Israelites' lives is present in our own and is manifest in our own. From only our couple of observations from this passage this morning, we see daily in our own activities consequences for sin, commands for obedience, and the need to respond to Christ's action on the cross and in the grave. God responds to both disobedience and obedience. He is among us in his tangible activity in our lives. Every answered prayer and uncovered sin comes by his hand. God is manifest among us through his word and through his action. And that has some implications for us as believers in Jesus Christ. First, God's physical, God's manifest presence provides comfort for the people of God. Provides comfort for the people of God. Think about the ways that God has acted in your life with physical consequences. Think of that family member that he miraculously healed. Think of that wayward son or daughter or friend that was transformed radically and came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Think of the addictions that you might have been trapped in and ensnared by in your previous life that you are now free from and experience liberty in. God, his manifest presence, provides comfort for the people of God Because he gives us promises to hold on to. And he gives us a helper through the Holy Spirit that gives us tangible peace and comfort as we live our daily lives. The manifest presence of God provides comfort for the people of God. And it also fulfills the will of God for our salvation. The incarnation of Jesus Christ offered the only sacrifice effective enough for our salvation if we were to believe. No one else in, 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 their, in their humanness or in their sin, their brokenness could have served as the substitute for our sins. And when Jesus came as the incarnate son of God, the, the physical manifestation of God in the world, he became the word. He became the sacrifice. He became the lamb that would be slain for our sins. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14 says this, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The scripture speaks for itself the manifest presence of Jesus Christ fulfilled the will of God for our salvation and made a way for us to return to the one who created us. 
God's presence is manifested among us. He reveals himself to us that we may know who he is and what his plan is for us. God is manifest through his word and his actions. And that manifest presence comforts his people and fulfills his redemptive plan for humanity. Knowing of God's manifest presence helps us to appreciate more deeply the wonders of God's work on our behalf. And it gives us assurance as to the security of our salvation. Because of the manifest presence of God, we know that we can be eternally saved and held in the hands of God. And we can be empowered for work and service on this earth because God has revealed himself to us, not only through his actions, but through his son, Jesus. Friends, there is tangible, visible comfort in the mighty manifested presence of God. God's presence is firstly manifested. And second, God's presence is spiritual. God's presence is spiritual. Stephen provides quite a a good argument, a cogent argument for why God is spiritual in nature. We're going to look at verse 50 and 49 to figure out exactly what he's saying here. Verse in 50, first in 59, the Bible says this, God, I mean, did not my hand make all these things? Did not my hand make all these things? Stephen is indicating that God made everything. 49 extends that. It says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. If God made everything, then everything is under God's rule or everything is under God's domain. And because everything is under God's domain, nothing can contain him. Another way to think about it is the creator is not bound by his creation. Verse 48, the most high does not dwell in sanctuaries made with human hands. God made everything, everything is under his domain, and nothing in his domain can contain him. The creator is not bound by his creation. According to this passage, God's presence cannot be strictly strictly a manifest presence, or it would be contained and limited. So how can it be that God's presence is manifested or physically active, yet not limited? Well, the answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the co-equal, co-eternal trinity or triune God. Ephesians 1.13 tells us that he's the seal of our salvation, the one who marks us as being redeemed from our sin. Several passages, including Ephesians 4, tell us that the Holy Spirit is the source of our power or the, way, the place from where our spiritual giftings come. And not only is the Holy Spirit the seal of our salvation, the source of our power, but he is the sign of redemption. Everyone who has been renewed and redeemed by a holy God is marked and different because they have the Holy Spirit inside of them. You can recognize when someone has been changed by God, when someone has been saved from their sin. He's the helper that Jesus promised in John 14 and John 16, and he indwells every single believer. But the the Hebrew people in the wilderness mistook the nature of God's spiritual presence. And they did this by reframing God's power and minimizing his impact when they limited him to the golden calf. They made an idol that they would worship as God and underestimated and misunderstood his spiritual nature. 
God is not contained in things that are made by human hands or in institutions that humans have put up. We often create idols for ourselves in order to make God a God of convenience or a God of our own, under our own will. And the, Stephen here is, is disputing the, the, the truthfulness or the, the rightness of this when he says that God is not dwelling in sanctuaries made with human hands. God is spirit. His presence is spiritual. When we attempt to limit the effects of God's spiritual presence in our lives by creating idols that limit him, we deny his nature and we engage in sin. When we attempt to limit the effects of God's spiritual presence in our lives by creating idols, we deny his nature and engage in sin. How then do we allow God's presence spiritually to flow through us rather than deny it from working? How do we embrace this spiritual presence of God in such a way that we are motivated to obey him more and obey him fully? Let's learn from the mistakes here that Stephen speaks of from his ancestors or from their ancestors. The first mistake is in verse 51. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. The first mistake was that their heart didn't match their outside. The inside did not match the outside. He's speaking to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. And these, like any Jew uh, at the time, any Hebrew at the time, uh, would have had the external sign of the covenant, the external symbol of the covenant, which would have been a physical circumcision. But God is asking for a, a spiritual circumcision or a spiritual sign of the covenant, the circumcision of the heart. God's spiritual presence. We have that when we confess our sins, believe in Jesus, and commit our lives to him. If you've accepted Christ this morning, but you're leading a double life in denial of your identity in Jesus, you need to reassess where you're at. This is the time to repent and look back at at your identity in Christ, embracing his spiritual presence, and asking God to work in your life. And not be a hollow shell bearing external symbols of a covenant. The first way to let God's spiritual presence flow through us rather than deny it is to embrace our identity in Christ. We also need to engage the Holy Spirit. Second part of verse 51. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. This one's easy. As the Holy Spirit leads, do. As the Holy Spirit leads, act. Oftentimes it's very easy to Embrace our identity and understand where we need to go with Christ, but not take the first step in engaging with the Holy Spirit and acting in the power that we have been given. Refuse to be lukewarm. Refuse to be lazy in your spiritual walk, but rather engage the Holy Spirit and obey when he calls. We can allow God's spiritual presence to flow through us rather than deny it from working by embracing our identity in Christ, engaging the Holy Spirit, and aspiring to holiness. Verse 53. You receive the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. They received the law and didn't obey it. And one of the greatest greatest travesties of the church today is that we know the full instruction of God. We have the full Bible. We have the fulfillment of the law through Jesus Christ. And yet we willingly reject it in order to placate our personal and private sinful aspirations. 
Church, we need to flee from sin this morning. We need to aspire to holiness. We need not only to embrace our identity and engage the Holy Spirit, but we need to orient our hearts toward heaven and our eyes toward God in order to avoid the denial of God's work. We don't need to perpetuate the same mistake of disobeying the law that we have been given by God himself. Aspire to holiness. God's presence is spiritual. We know God is spiritually present because of this passage and ones like it that describe the spiritual nature of the Trinity. Instead of limiting the effects of God's spiritual presence in our lives and engaging in sin, we can learn from the mistakes described in this passage and allow God's presence to work through us. When we embrace our identity in Christ, engage the Holy Spirit, and aspire to a life of holiness, our lives will reflect the character of God. God will flow through us as was the case of Moses on the mountain, and we will avoid falling into the pit of Aaron with the golden calf. God's presence is manifested, God's presence is spiritual, and God's presence is our eternal inheritance. Our culture seems to have a preoccupation with death, mostly because it's confusing and most of us don't know exactly what it means or what lies beyond it outside of God's revelation. Their culture is afraid, but it's certain. Death is coming whether we're ready or not. The novelist James Hilton said it this way, All we have done and can sometimes do is to slacken the tempo of this brief interval that is called life. But make no mistake, the end awaits us all. To find good in the greatest evil is a tall task. Yet the scripture gives us a clear hope. The good that we have in death, our inheritance as sons and daughters of the living God, is the opportunity to be united with God himself. In death, Stephen recognized that the presence of God was his single most important possession. Look with me at verse 56 and 59. Verse 59. The people are raging about him. Some of the most powerful people in all of Israel were at his heels. They were enraged and they're gnashing his teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and saw Jesus. He said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What do you think of when you're in danger or when you contemplate death? Is it fear? Is it an unpreparedness? Is it anxiety? For Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, it was Jesus Christ himself and the presence of God as his eternal inheritance. In death, Stephen exhibited the grace that Jesus had when he came to die for us. His last thought wasn't to finish up a task. His last thought was not to get even with those that were fighting him. Rather, his last task was to appreciate the sacrifice that God had made for him and embrace his eternal inheritance. The greatest treasure in heaven and on earth is the presence of God. No more fear, no more pain, no more sin, no more death. It all ends when we enter the presence of God. And we can extend that grace to others and give generously of ourselves, even if it is our very life. When we consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. In closing, 
the realities of God's presence before, during, and beyond our lives ensures fulfillment of God of the gospel's promises, both on earth and in eternal heaven. We know this by the truths we've read. The Bible says that God's presence is manifested. The incarnate Christ and the tangible works of God in our lives provide us security of salvation in the gospel and comfort in our troubles. The Bible tells us that God's presence is spiritual. The Holy Spirit can work in and through us if we learn from the mistakes recorded in the Bible and embrace our identity, engage the Holy Spirit, and aspire to holiness. And finally, the Bible tells us that God's presence is our inheritance. God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins as the substitute for the penalty that we should have received. Because of our disobedience of God, we were destined for a place that the Bible calls hell. We were doomed to an eternity separated from the presence of God. And yet God revealed himself through Jesus to give us a chance to reclaim our inheritance as his created treasures. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and commended your life to him, the first thought of your Christian walk and the final breath of your mortal life will be looking forward to an eternity spent with God and looking for other people to take with you. Press on in your mission and share that inheritance while reflecting on it as a comfort in your hardships. This is a gift. And from that gift, you can be encouraged. And from that gift, you can live faithfully. And from that gift, you can be bold in sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing people to a saving knowledge of him. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ this morning as your Savior and you're sitting in the pew or you're watching, know that you will not be united with a holy God if you were to step into eternity today. Sin creates a gap between you and God. But this morning... Because of the manifested Messiah, Jesus Christ, and because of the spiritual beckoning of the Holy Spirit, God is asking and pleading with you that you would repent of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ, and commit your life to service in Him. You can be joined with Christ and a co-heir in the inheritance of God's presence. If you've made that decision or if you'd like to make that decision, you can message us or you can speak today with us after the service in the front. But today is a day for decisions. Commit yourself to faithful service of God, embracing the realities of God's presence and knowing that when you walk out of these doors today, you're not going out alone. You are empowered by the God who created you and created the very world itself. You are ready to tackle a life that is difficult on its own and filled with sin. God is preparing you for an eternity with him if only you'll believe and if only you'll respond in faith. Eric, Pastor Eric is going to come for a closing song. I'm going to pray first. If you have a decision to make today, now is the time to do it. Don't wait and don't put off your inheritance that you can receive by believing and embracing the presence of God. God, today we're broken before you knowing that we are sinners unworthy of the gift that you have offered to us. We recognize the beauty of the manifest presence of God through Jesus Christ and through your revealed word. We realize the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells those who believe and calls those who have not believed to salvation. And from those, we want to respond by claiming our inheritance. God, empower us to serve you well. 
and to be faithful stewards of the gift of your presence that you have given us. God, in this year, new year, I pray that we would not squander what we have been given, but rather would be found faithful, would be found bold, would be found confident in who you are and the truth of the gospel. God, if anyone is listening and feels compelled to respond, I pray that you would push them beyond their own doubts, push them beyond their own denial and bring them to you, showing them the love that you have for them and the the treasures that await them in your presence. God, we ask these things in your name. Amen.